Good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead. I'm your host for this week, Lynn, joined once again by our very good friend, John Bolding. Hey, y'all. And uh, this week we are going to be discussing the elusive, mystical, maybe illusory concept of the forever game. Um, Recently, uh, Robin Rowan kind of touched on this. Uh, in in trying to find the perfect civil war game, um, but this is this is the strategy game that you could theoretically keep coming back to forever. This is the last game you'd ever need. This is the game that if you had to be locked in a nuclear bunker with a PC with only one game installed on it, you think you'd be okay if you had uh, this one this one magical game. Um, one. And- single game for all time. Yes. And uh, I feel like I've. I've kind of had multiple games throughout my life that I thought might have been my forever game. Uh, But John, what do you feel about uh, about the concept? I think it's really complicated idea because obviously, like a lot of what's your favorite video game things. my dog will walk in the room and make like a lot of noise. Oh yeah. It's three moves ahead. There's going to be dog mayhem. That's part of our brand. Here we are. All right. Well, (laughs) uh, I think as with a lot of games and preferences, one person's forever game will not be another person's forever game. Right. And I think that the idea of the forever game has actually become exponentially more likely to exist for some people in the last like 10 to 15 years as opposed to the time before that right where as the concept of continuous game development has come into its own as the idea that you can update something and patch something and release new content and material for something and fix things and expand them in a live way continually over years and years. And you can have a fan base that's ready to support someone while they do that. The idea of a game that is someone's forever game, as it were, is much, much more viable, right? It's interesting that you say that um, because I think my first brush with, I guess what I would, would, at the time have called like, oh, this is the only game I'll ever need um, was probably Civilization. And uh, is I started with Civ 3, but then like four and five, I also just played an absurd amount of. And I don't know that I would have put as much time into those games as I did if there were as many different strategy games coming out all the time then as there are now. Oh, interesting. Um, no, you're you're yeah. actually right at the same time. That's yeah, an, yeah, that's a great point, which is like as more games come out, also the likelihood that you're going to find one <laughs> game and be like, this is it is so much lower. I think if you're talking about the re- a realistic conception of the forever game, right, everybody can play the like Desert mm-hmm. Island one one game forever. Uh, yeah. Little thought experiment. But if you're talking about a forever game, I think for a lot of people, it's going to be the game that you keep installed and always go back to at any time you could sit down and you could play some of it and you would enjoy yourself. You would have fun, right? As opposed to something like, uh, there are a lot of games now 
that for me are like flavor of the week games. Like I'll play, I'll play the crap out of them in a week. And then I'll be like, well, that was fun and never play them again. And that's, that's fine. Right. That's a good thing. I think in the world of gaming, because that Mm -hmm. broadens the horizons and enriches stuff. But there are games that people just keep on tap forever. And like, I'm sure that for you for a long time, Crusader Kings two was that game, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Crusader Kings two is, would, would be very high on, on the list. It's probably. So here's the interesting thing about Crusader Kings two is. I, it still might be my favorite game of all time. Like at the end of the day, if I have to rank everything, um, but I burned out also super hard on Crusader Kings two at one point. Um, I actually want to see if I can find this like overwrought article that I wrote where I was. Yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll read some. <laughs> You're laughing from at this. yourself now. Uh, already. Yeah, this is already this, great. OK, this was 2018. So CK3 had not been announced yet. So at this point, I have like Nor 15. Had, had Holy Fury yeah. come out yet? Wasn't that? I don't. No, I, I think this was before Holy Fury, actually. Okay. Um, okay, Holy Fury is November 13th, 2018. So date me. Okay, on so so yeah, this was before Holy Fury. Okay. Um, because this I wrote this in March of 2018. But so at this point I had like already over 1500 hours in in CK2, which is you know, I won't spoil it, it's the second most of any <laughs> any game <laughs> that I'm gonna talk about today, actually. Um, and I just, you know, I love the hell out of that game. It's one of my favorite games of all time, possibly my favorite game of all time. But I got I think because of how much I loved it, I got so like burned out at the end, just seeing them string it along. Um, right. Just in. I mean, Holy Fury kind of brought it back around where I was like, OK, they've got still interesting stuff they can do with this formula. Um, but but the closing paragraph of this article <laughs> Crusader Kings 2 remains one of my five favorite games of all time with no qualifications, and I only criticize it out of love. Um, I also don't envy its position, as many of the exciting ideas I've heard the designers talk about to push forward with, uh, they've admitted wouldn't be possible without a blank slate and a proper sequel, which little did I know at the time they were already working on. Right. They on were CK3. On the, way in. the recent I've got to put on my my proper um uh, uh, theatrical voice here. The recent DLCs have been the spectacles of an aging king looking to recapture his glory days by putting on a tourney and swinging a mace around at a gaggle of young knights who have been discreetly instructed to let him win. It's a far cry from storming the walls of Acker in the crusades of his youth, but he hopes the facsimile will be enough to fool at least himself for just a bit longer. He has strong and energetic sons and grandsons who could take his place, but he's not ready to enter the kingdom of heaven just yet. As a result, I'm afraid he will only go on to invite further mockery from the commons with his charades as he refuses to abdicate gracefully. So, like, there was a point in time that I was, like, kind of mad at Crusader Kings (laughs) 2. And I don't know if that's just, like, you know... Any relationship that lasts that long, it's going to be like familiarity breeds contempt, maybe. Um, well, I think is, that's certainly true with games. Yeah, which is kind of a barrier to me, like really 
properly naming a forever game. I think that's so I find that really interesting for a couple of reasons, but uh, specifically, I think that. It has to be it has to be one of those games that can't that hasn't been supplanted, right? Right. Right. At that point, I think the writing was on the wall that they were going to make a Crusader Kings three. Yeah, more or less. And so it's possible that when when we're talking about a forever game. It might be something like my my forever game, right? Like my example of the forever game is Dwarf Fortress. Yeah, that's a good one. I will still go back to that. And that's yep. It's a game I've continually gone back to. And I think a key feature of that is it it is constantly iterating and adding something new and doing something new and deepening its systems in ways that are not obvious and not repetitive. Right? Yeah, like I, I can always go back and do something new and different in Dwarf. Yeah, that's I was trying to think if there's like a game that I have still played within the last two or three years that is like older than Dwarf Fortress that I've come back to consistently. And I I don't know if there is because that was like the first public beta was what, 2006? Oh, uh, I want to say maybe even earlier. Yeah, I think it might have been earlier than that, because I I remember playing it before they had a Z axis. Yes. Where you just yeah. dug straight into the mountain and then demons came out and killed you. So um, that was great. Spo- spoilers for Dwarf <laughs> Fortress 2006 um, edition. Yeah. Don't dig too greedily or too deep. Tisk tisk. Um, In case you've forgotten. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if there is a, like a game that's older than that, that I will still go back and play. Um, but yeah, it is because it's been in continuous development. And I, I don't think we got that with, um, you know, any of like the Civ games, I think, have a longer life cycle now than they used to. But, you know, they they get to a point where they're like done. And whether or not I feel like they should be done, <laughs> uh, they they, you know, kind of hit this point where regardless of your opinion. Yeah, where they. You know, they hit a point where uh, I guess as as friend of the show, Soren Johnson would say, you know, if if you add any more mechanics, you're you're kind of, you know. Doing a disservice at a certain point, which is an issue you run into with some of the Paradox games, Uh, (laughs) notably EU4, where there's just too many mechanics now. Um, Yeah, there's just too many disparate things to know, even know exist or keep track of. Right. So I'm curious what like why do you think Dwarf Fortress hasn't is it just because it was already like bloated with obscure mechanics on day 1 that like uh adding more isn't isn't going <laughs> to hurt it like <laughs> like I actually kind of love that idea so it was like it, it came sort of broken yeah so like, like you, you just sort of had to be a broken person to care in the first place <laughs> Like, yeah, I'm I'm curious why why it has this longevity of, you know, what, 16 years now of, you know, public development, and it hasn't gotten to a point where it feels like they've just added so much to it that it doesn't work anymore. I think that part of it is that they learned the lesson fairly early on and early enough in development that they 
shouldn't add mindless complexity. They shouldn't add complexity that was uh, not player facing. And I think that was really valuable. But I think part of it is that it has this, it has that elaborate world generation algorithm, right? Where it's creating gods mm-hmm. and monsters and people and nations. And that in and of itself has become progressively more complex over time, but also less broken. Like it used to spit out all kinds of ridiculous results. And it still does, right? Like if you generate any world and let it go long enough, the world will completely fill up with goblins because they just breed <laughs> faster than everyone else. You know, right? it's just it's basic ecology. You it's know? just math. It's, yeah. If you want to if you want to do hard fantasy, you have to figure out which of the sapient humanoid species would outcompete all the other ones because ecology tells us they can't really coexist. And um, spoilers, it's goblins. <laughs> Clearly. So, yeah, I mean, probably. Um, but uh, uh, the value, I think, in Dwarf Fortress is that the promise of that of that legendarium exists. And then ever since all the developer has done is go and tie in material from that broader world that exists outside your fortress into your fortress. So over time, they've added things like a tavern where travelers can visit and bring you news from other places and ask to join your fort and building temples to the gods that exist in that world generation, right? And giving depth to the civilization that exists behind your little individual dwarves and improving their psychology and how they interact with each other, right? That the basic stuff like combat and fighting has been more or less, in my mind at least, to my memory, more or less unchanged for a decade. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, at least I haven't noticed any major changes. There's there are small um, changes like you can do things with your military that you couldn't before. You can send them out to attack other civilizations and things like that. But yeah, the, it's I think definitely like if you're talking about candidates for a forever game, I think uh, you know, emergent storytelling and procedural generation are probably like the two biggest um, hallmarks of that. Not that every game on the list would have both, but I do think you probably need one or the other. And if you have both, that's a huge plus. Right. Um, like Par- Paradox games don't really have procedural generation. They've experimented with it. You know, they did the random new world for E4 and there's like a, a mode and or there's a setting in Crusader Kings where I think you can randomize all the cultures and religions or something like that. Yeah, um, you can sort of mix and match the whole world if you want. I would be very interested to see them take. Well, I mean, there's and Stellaris obviously has procedural generation. Um, I would be very interested to see them take I their Stellaris sort of makes a, a map, right? It procedurally generates a map for you. Right. And and like all the different species and like what their ideologies are and stuff. Um, sure. Yeah. Though I do feel like compared to more procedurally focused games, that's basically just tossing everything into a hat and then picking out three at a time. Yeah. It's equivalent. Yeah. It's equivalent to like civilization, I guess, a little bit more than civilization, because the the sieves themselves can be made up of right. building blocks that can be bomb. mixed and matched. Yeah. Um but yeah, I would count Civ in the, the category of, you know, the world is going to be a little bit different every time. Um, so it I would say that it has that 
procedural generation element, at least, you know, not to the, I don't think anyone has it to the degree that Dwarf Fortress does, at least not any high profile strategy games I can think of. No, that's sort of a level Um, of madness that no one's going to take (laughs) on. Yeah. um, uh, But. And, and in truth, a lot of it has no point, right? There's a massive uh depth in Dwarf Fortress's generation and simulation that has no meaningful game effect, right? Like when uh, your dwarf slices off the arm of an enemy and it sails away in an arc to give the classic sort of dwarf fortress phrasing and the arm lands, you know, two tiles away. That does, that does nothing in the game world. It's just puts a bit of arm somewhere, right? It doesn't meaningfully change how the game is played, but dwarf fortress really cares. Yeah. Um, And, and I think it does matter in that, you know, I know that, you know, the, the climatology of the region where I'm building my fortress was created by like this incredibly in-depth math equation that figured out, you know, elevation and rainfall and atmospheric moisture and all this stuff. Right. Um, and, you know, populated it with stuff that would make sense to be here. Um, I mean, as much as Dwarf Fortress can make sense, which is often not not a lot. But um, I think I think everything in Dwarf Fortress makes sense because it does come from a rule in that game code somewhere. Right. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. Everything but the bugs. Um, yeah, I, I would be very interested to see some of Paradox's historical games do like a like a random whole world. <laughs> like We're just sure, going to yeah. generate random ass continents and put random ass kingdoms there and uh you know make up culture and religion names that that could be a really interesting way to play but uh um yeah uh i'm still trying to think if there is anything from that era that i still go back to and i really well for me that think there is people talk about um forever games in the tabletop and board game community in a different way. Right. Yeah. Um, they talk about forever games as a game that, you know, is going to be part of your collection forever. Right. It's going oh, to be right. something that yeah. you keep on your shelf because for a lot of board game enthusiasts, a major limitation to what games they own is how much self space they have. Um, right. Right. Like you, you know, if you're going to buy 10 games in a year, that means you have to purge 10 other games because otherwise there is literally no room for them in your house. I'm at that point right now where I have to make, like, if I want to buy a board game, I have to set, I have at this point set the rule, like you have to get rid of a different one because the space runs out. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, And so I think it's maybe productive. A lot of those older, a lot of those games for, Board gamers, a lot of the forever games are older games, right? They can be quite old at this point. Like I imagine for yeah. a, a lot of tabletop war gamers, like Advanced Squad Leader is in their collection because that's a game that you are going to keep coming back to because there's nothing quite like it in terms of that scale of tactical game. Yeah, I think there's the other interesting thing with board games is you don't have the same element of like being spoiled by technical progress as much. Right. Um, where I think with video games, there are some older strategy games that I really love, but either 
someone has come along and done them better since then, or like the UI is so bad by today's standards that I just don't want to deal with it. Um, or like even some of them, it's hard to get running on a modern machine. Whereas I think with board games, you know, you might get, you know, nicer looking cards or a nicer looking board or better looking pieces. Yeah, better and materials. And there there are a few design trends. Yeah, mechanical yeah. innovations over time that have made things better. But a lot of them do just end up making things different, not necessarily sort of inherently better. That there are there are small things that have improved over time, but. Yeah, I mean, there's like the running joke of uh, like chess two or like the latest patch notes for chess, right. which did happen at various points in history. Queen's chess was not always the, the default version of chess, but uh, which is what we play today. But uh, yeah, it's still a great game, even though it's basically kind of the same as this, you know, thing that was invented in ancient India. And I don't even remember what year. Um and uh, obviously video games don't have anything equivalent to that. Um, I'd actually be curious to know if like 500 years from now, if there are still humans in some form, are there any like types of games from Tetris? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's that's right, a, like... that's a candidate. And, you know, those are. Interestingly enough, I don't know how much it's a strategy game, but I think stuff like even like 2048 <laughs> would honestly be on my list of like forever games or desert island games because i just do go back to those when i want something kind of mindless right that's gonna give me like dopamine because i i push the buttons good um (laughs) you're you're not you're not wrong right to sort of think of games that you go back to over and over and in, in a lot of ways i think when you're evaluating candidates for like, what's a forever game, what should count as a forever game. It's just games that you're going to keep installed. Yeah. So, so CK two was my number two. Do you want to take a guess at what number one is? I mean, it's no, cause I actually, I don't know what it could be if it wasn't CK two. It's actually EU four. EU four is my most played game other than maybe world of Warcraft, which we're not going to get into because it's my crack dealer, and this is a strategy game podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> not, a, not a cocaine podcast. Yeah. Maybe my Minecraft would be the other shout out I would give that's not a strategy game that I've been playing since 2011 and probably have an absurd number of hours in. Um, but yeah, EU4 is the most played game on my Steam account, and it's by a margin of like 500 hours. It's not small. Wow. Okay. Um, and yeah, part of that is that it's just been in continuous development since it came out. Um, Part of it is I don't I don't really know what it is necessarily that draws me back to that one more than any of the other grand strategy games. Um, Well, the scale, the scale of EU4, the time scale is so strong uh, compared to even CK2 comparatively. It just feels like it lasts longer. Right, right. Um, but even then, I feel like I'm at the point with it now. I'm even past the point that I was when I wrote that melodramatic essay about CK2. <laughs> like, we're, I'm just like mad at EU4 now. Like, I just want EU5 to come out. I want them to stop announcing more mission trees where you can make the Teutonic Order into a Catholic crusading like nomad horde like i i don't i don't want this is the silliness this is the silliness that was happening at the end of ck2 
they don't have anything left to do except be silly. So they're just adding silly shit. Um, so or I don't know. Like, I don't doing know it for if, the memes, as it were. I don't know if like that kind of a complex grand strategy game could be a forever game for me because I just get annoyed with it eventually. And I don't know why that is. Maybe um, maybe this this whole episode is just therapy for me trying to figure that out. Well, it's um, the, I think it's the variance. <laughs> I, th- I think you really got onto something when you're talking about generation and changing of the starting scenario, which is after a certain point. As many countries as there are on the map in EU4, you have played them all, right? I don't know if I, I've played them all, but I have well, played just, a good chunk sort of, of them. The, yeah. the theoretical <laughs> you, not necessarily literally yeah. you. Uh-huh. But yeah. After a certain point, you have played all the viable, worthwhile, fun countries to play, and a lot of countries end up being the same. Like I, I can't imagine that like a Cambodia playthrough is that different than a Dive Viet playthrough right like meaningfully well actually i guess i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure they've elaborately given each one its own little focus they're they're fairly they're fairly similar after the first 100 years they're gonna feel really similar after a while and i think that the inability of that of that sort of base gameplay to change enough based on circumstance and situation means you you do feel like you're going to run out of options eventually you're going to see most of the things that can happen right and then the remaining things that might happen due to random chance or what have you are things that you've seen a very very similar version of happen with a different country on the map right with a Mm. different nation you were playing as at some point or with a different ai empire that was your rival as opposed to a more procedurally generated game where you're like can I survive on an ice sheet? Let's find out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's exactly why I would love to see them do something like a random whole world. But um, so I'm thinking about back in the days when like Civ was my shit before I even before Grand Strategy was even, you know, a twinkle in my eye. And I don't feel like I felt the same way about like Civ 3, 4, and 5 when I had played them for hundreds of hours that I eventually started to pick apart like CK2 and EU4. And I think that might have been because one, that was the closest I had ever seen at that point to a game that just like tries to simulate history, which right today I think, you know, it most people who have played a grand strategy game would say Civ isn't really a simulation of history. It's a it's a history themed board game. Um, but at that time, that was that was the closest I'd gotten to it. And also it was abstract enough that I didn't find myself thinking about the storytelling potential that existed at the margins where, oh, they couldn't they could do this, though, or like they could simulate this, whereas I feel like I hit a point with Crusader Kings and EU eventually where I was like, Oh, but I wish it was like this. Like, I wish that it would model this historical phenomenon because they've gone into so much detail right. that, like, I do notice the like the missing storytelling potential at the margins. Um, and that's not really an issue in like Dwarf Fortress because 
what more could you want? Like, it's already ridiculous. What are you, of, what are you expecting at this point? Right? The yeah. amount of stuff they're simulating is like already above and beyond, you know, anything you would even care about. So, um, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm wondering if it has something to do with that, where, you know, they, they, they give me an inch and I was happy with an inch, but if they give me like a foot, I want them to go a mile. Like, I'm like, oh, but you got so close to making this dream game that like only exists in my head, right. like my actual forever game. You got so close to it that I just want you to, you know, go that little bit further. Um, I feel like you could get there, but I'm not, you know, you haven't got there, right. <laughs> right, right. Um. So so maybe that's why when when a game gets that close to being my my true forever game, I just get it, you know, eventually <laughs> after 2000 hours, after a mere 2000 hours, right. I become frustrated with its limitations. <laughs> um, whereas with Civ, I don't think I had that issue just because. It was far enough away that I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, I could sit here and daydream about the perfect game, but it's never no one's ever going to be able to actually make that. Right. And Which, with Paradox, to, I to be clear, or, yeah. I think this is a great moment to say <laughs> that. To bring it back around to the idea that the idea of a forever game is relative, right? Right. Because mm-hmm. for some people, that 2000 hours of EU4. Since what, 2014? 2013 i think it was late 2013 okay yeah right so like that (laughs) that four and a half hours of gaming a week for nine (laughs) years like if you think of it that way like that's yeah for some people that's their entire gaming time and so they bought eu4 and it it has been their forever game ever since right they they may not have felt even the need to buy another game they're just like yeah i like eu4 i'm gonna keep playing this and I know people like that, you know, I know people who are like that with Hearts of Iron or Civilization, where it's like, you know, I had friends in high school who like their their dad would play Civilization and didn't play any other video games. It yeah, was just certainly. Like, and I know people yeah. who like they bought they they're like, I love strategy games. I'm like, well, what strategy games do they enjoy? And they're like, well, Civ, period. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Like that. That's the only strategy game they need that that hits their exact niche of what they want. So they're just going to buy whatever the next Civ is, because they know it's going to be more Civ. So so it is sort of like a skewed thing for us because we went into a profession based around. <laughs> I play a lot of video games, playing perhaps I, too much video game. I wonder if there's a way to make money on this. <laughs> so we probably do have very different standards than the average person. Um, you know, some people have like kids and stuff. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, seems kind of weird to me but uh yeah yeah that's a good point like that is a really good point and um you know i i do think about that often like i'm mad at this game that i played for two thousand hours it's like well that's the whole genre of of steam reviews right like yeah someone with like three or four thousand hours in a free-to-play game (laughs) will give it a negative review yeah, yeah, like, that's exactly. Not, that's not true. Like you don't you don't believe that. Well, and I wouldn't give you for a negative review. It's just like there's this part of me that's not satisfied with 
the the fact that I got 2000 hours of enjoyment out of it, I should just be like, yeah, I could delete this game forever. And it's some of the best money I ever spent. You know, even if I had to pay for all the DLC, I ended up getting a lot of it from Paradox. But like it it would be a, a tremendous investment, both in terms of the amount of entertainment I got per dollar spent and just, you know, the 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 number of hours of of happiness <laughs> that I had right. playing it. But uh, yeah, it gets to a point where there's like this feeling of a bad breakup at the end. And uh, I don't feel that way about a game like Dwarf Fortress. And I'm I don't know exactly why that is. But is it because uh, you never spent any money on Dwarf Fortress? <laughs> I don't think it's. As a- as a possibility. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's the money. I, it might be the infrequency that I play it with. Here's like, a better play. question. Is it because you haven't played as much Dwarf Fortress? It could be because, you know, I'm playing. Like the main four Paradox games, I I play them like. I'd say that it would be fair to say I play them each at least like 100 hours a year. If there's like a couple big patches i'll come back for a while um some of them they stick with longer than that um but i think if i actually look at the hours played it's pretty close to that whereas like dwarf fortress is a game where i have very fond memories of it and i won't play it for like seven years and i'll right. come back and be like oh i wonder what's going on with tarn adams these days <laughs> and i'll play like a big long run with a fortress and then i like won't think about it again for like four more years right. like it's there's these long gaps in between when I actually play it. Um, so that probably is a factor. Yeah, that, that does feel like a major factor as opposed yeah. to maybe for me where I go back and I play it for a month or so almost every year, or at least I have for a long time though. The last couple of years, I've barely played any dwarf fortress simply because when they announced the, steam tile set sort of official tile set edition Mm -hmm. i said oh this is perfect right like i can take a couple years plus you know two two to five years off of dwarf fortress and (laughs) whenever this comes out i'll be thrilled to play again right it will be a beautiful new new fresh interesting thing for me whenever this comes out we'll do a show on it still waiting (laughs) yeah we certainly will but it's time, been on it's been on the docket for like I don't know how long now time, to actually time do is a subjective, full show. right? You know? Yeah. Um, it's a relative experience. We should try to get like some some cool guests when that does come out. That'll be such a momentous moment in strategy game history. Um I mean and and I'll never be on a podcast again. I'll sort of be done. Right? Like I'll that's the game. <laughs> You're just gonna retire and play yeah. Dwarf Fortress. That's yes. your yeah, I mean, that so, is the retirement plan right now. Yeah, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be the worst way to live out the rest of your days. Yeah, and Tarn's like sort of that like decade or so older than me, too, where he's going to die. <laughs> and then the game's finished, right? Like, <laughs> that's the only time. And then the that's remaining the time, time of my finished. life, I can just play yeah. Fortress, the finished final version. Yeah. Perfect. So um, I guess we'll record that in 50 years or so like that. Yeah, I'm sure the podcast will still be around by then. We've been around um, for a while. We have. We've been. So I think the first episode of 3MA aired before I even 
I don't even know if I had started on my college paper yet. I think it was before I was a journalist. It was certainly <laughs> before I was. When the first episode of Three MA came out, I was definitely I was definitely still in call. Was it 2011? I need to look this up. <laughs> you need, you no, need it might have been now. even longer than that. Yeah. Uh, what's your forever podcast? <laughs> no. Um, what do you think? That is the real question, isn't it? What do you think in terms of hours played like uh, you don't necessarily need to like check, but what do you think are like your top five most played strategy games? Oh, hmm. I think mine are all going to be paradox. My brain has been completely derailed by the thing where I went to the to the very first three moves ahead. Uh, Oh, 2009. 2009. Holy shit. That was my fresh my freshman year of college. I didn't need to know that. (laughs) I forget that you're the youngest of all of us sometimes. I'm only like a year younger than you, aren't I? You're like I think so, but yeah, it's still, uh, it still is ridiculous. Yeah, um, it's weird that it's been that way for like ten years. Yeah, <laughs> like I've I've stayed like the youngest person in most press groups. Like even if I go to an event today, other than the YouTube streamers, I'm usually like one of the two youngest people there. Which well, is weird. it is it's finally happening. Um, so don't don't stress too much. Yeah, there we go. Um, let me see. So, right. So you were, you were saying you were asking. <laughs> yes. What, what do you, what are your most played strategy games? My most played strategy games. I think that realistically by steam reckoning, it's probably EU four. Yeah. Let me go see what steam thinks. I have a lot of really imperfectly recorded games well that's the other thing is like steam will like count stuff if you have like the launcher open in the background so right. that's not or if always... you're i mean and i've had a lot of experiences where it doesn't count hours played in offline mode things like that yeah 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 right? um but for sure i think yeah this is definitely one of my most most played strategy game here on steam is eu4 right and for me eu4 for a long time was a game that i would refer to as like yeah that that's Hands down, I would say probably for a period of at least three or four years, I would say that's the best strategy game you can play, right? Yeah. And it and it was, and it is. It's still a great game. Nothing bad has happened to no, it other than like, the inevitable march of time, which, you know, comes for us all. Like, yeah, if you were going to play it, like buy it today and you've pl- never played EU4 before, I think you're going to have a very positive experience with it. I think it is one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, um, going yeah. into it, I think, yeah, you will you will enjoy yourself. You'll have fun, right? Beyond that, though, uh, I think what drew me into EU4 for so long was the variety of interesting things to mm-hmm. be done and the sort of historical sandbox to play in. Uh, and I think I, I, I had a really fortuitous time with EU4 for that reason, but I haven't played it in a while quite a while i would say maybe two or three years at this point i, I just haven't oh, wow. even opened it no. up um because yeah, the, the last time i can remember like, playing yeah. it would have been 2019 yeah so since before the pandemic so that's kind of rough on eu4 except like <laughs> I, I only have fond memories of it but it didn't 
end up being a forever game. And I think I knew at the time that it wasn't a forever game. I wouldn't eternally come back to it. I knew that there were friction points and things that were limitations I disliked or found upsetting. Whereas with some other games, I've never, I've never found that to be true. Um, depending on definition of strategy, though, my next most played games are um, Minefield. <laughs> yeah. When I look at this, like, I've got combined in the total Warhammer games, I think that's probably between the three, that's my most, my second most played quote game. If you if you add up all the total Warhammers, it's number four for me. So like number one is EU4, number two is CK2. Those are like untouchable. Those are so far ahead of everything else that it's not even funny. And then Stellaris would be number three. And then number four, if you added up Total War Warhammer one, two and three, if you added the hours together, that would be number four. And then Crusader Kings three is number five and then Hearts of Iron. So it's mostly paradox. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, you certainly do. No one who listens to this podcast has any illusion that that's not a genre and style of game that just works for your brain. Right. Right. Uh, well then Civ Civ 5 is right under that if I go I to the say. next I, so I've got game I've or... got a couple questionable entries in terms of what a strategy game is. Uh-huh. Um, but then I've got Civ 5. I would yeah, say Civ 5 City Skylines and then Kerbal Space Program which is kind of a strategy game. Yeah, that's it has a strategy layer. <laughs> that's a questionable one, right? Like I could, could I could yeah. count that and in that case that's probably my number 4 in here. Um Workers and resources, Soviet Republic. There, despite, I knew that was going to be despite being not that long. That is arguably my second most played strategy game on Steam. But even looking at that one, I know it's not immortal, right? Like I know eventually mm. someone else is going to make a bigger, stupider city builder. Yeah, and yeah. I'm going to be like, oh boy, let's calculate metric but, tons but of concrete gonna- production per month. Are they going to make a bigger, stupider party builder with party loyalty mechanics? Um, you know, I don't know. Because you know, since important. we recorded that show, there there are prisons and secret police. Yeah, and it might, show it might be time to re- might be time to revisit. Um, so here's an interesting thing, though. Right here's something I'm going to bring up. Every single one of the games in my my sort of top five, right? Like my forever for the last. Mm-hmm. When did Steam start keeping track of playtime? late 2000s i think yeah Yeah, because it always tells me i've never played half-life 2 and i'm like you are insane yeah you're you're very wrong there yeah Yeah. so the uh the one there that i i have to say i have to point out is like every single one of these games in my top um i've got europe eu4 soviet republic oxygen not included warhammer or civ 5 right these are all moddable games that is a very good point, um, because I think if you could break it down by mods, I probably have played more modded CK2 than I have vanilla CK2. Right. And there was a I point where a, yeah. I was I wasn't writing about EU4 anymore. I wasn't getting press keys, but I was buying the expansions because I wanted my mods to stay functional and current. Right. And yeah. Like if the modder I was using at the time moved up to the next version, I would certainly buy in. Right. Yeah. 
Oh, and I definitely have played more modded Hearts of Iron. I think my Hearts of Iron hours would be like two thirds lower if you <laughs> removed right. mods from the. I hardly ever play vanilla Hearts of Iron or I should specify. But so you've, uh, you've played. What a thousand. How many hours of, uh, of the My Little Pony mod have you played at this point? I still have not played the My <laughs> Little Pony mod. People keep bugging me to check it out, and I'm like, I've heard it's good. At some point, I, I, will, uh, tr- I will try it. I but, downloaded and opened yeah. it because I didn't actually believe that it could be real. Like, I thought it was a joke. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was proved, I mean, just very wrong. Just so wrong. I... I uh, I do I did hear recently that what he might be the lead developer or one of the lead developers for that mod uh, got conscripted. So uh, stay safe. Oof. Okay. I hear I hear George is nice this time of year. Yes. Yeah, uh, so stay sh- very yeah. Safe. Shout out there. That's yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. I, I've I've played a lot of Old World of Blues because I love the idea of post-apocalyptic socioeconomics is like one of my nerdy loves is like when you actually think about how society would rebuild after an apocalypse and not just, Oh, everything sucks forever. It's like, no, we got to move forward at some point. This is why walking dead, the TV show got really old by the end because it didn't really want to engage with those ideas as much as the source material did. Um, uh yeah, Old World Blues, obviously Kaiser Reich, and um uh oh what's the other big one? I don't play Millennium Dawn. I'm not interested in a modern parts <laughs> of Iron game. I just don't want to think about that when I'm gaming. Um unless there's aliens. Uh Terra Invicta's fine see, because yes, yeah, the aliens show for change it up. Yeah. Speaking of games that that I have an absurd number of hours in for how short of a time they've been out. Yeah, that is certainly Tara, that is certainly a game where I can already say like, well, that was too many hours of that in too short a span of time. Yeah, Terra Invicta and uh, thing we're not allowed to talk about that's coming out this month, but you can probably guess. You can probably um, guess. Are both in my category of wow, I have played this for a lot of hours considering how I've played I've a, had access to a considerable it. amount of several games. Yeah. And yeah, I think that so. a strength. I want to say, I want to say, I think it's a strength of a game you can mod is that you're going to get a lot more hours out of it. And perhaps yeah. one of the only things when I look at Dwarf Fortress is how difficult it is to mod for people, right? Like for a while, there was the sort of Kobold Fortress mod, but like the, the way that that game is kept up and updated realistically it's a it's a one person show in there and other people don't get to make that yeah i've never even in that sandbox i've never even looked into dwarf fortress mods but i guess it's it's probably like all hard-coded right like he doesn't well yes and no there there are a ton of official mods mods for dwarf fortress but that most Uh of them do things like add functionality right there there are things like a they're third-party programs that run parallel to dwarf fortress and let you pull out data that you want right like dwarf therapist which lets you like okay give me a sortable list yeah, of my yeah. least happy dwarfs right 
they're they're problems like that. that no, I think you're a lot right. Of those I have are, I have installed mods for Dwarf Fortress because I have used Dwarf Therapist right. before. Yeah, and like the the and mods that'll give sort of packs, like a, an isometric sprite view of the fortress right, or right. things like that, yeah. which are very uh, fun. They're very interesting things, but it's interesting I, 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 to me, especially <laughs> that like one of my primary long gameplay longevity things here has been the ability of of the game to be modded over time. And right, that that's what I know is going to bring me back to EU for some time in the next year or so, like probably over the holiday break when there's not a lot of games I'm, that I'm playing for work, which is to go back and play like Anbenar, right? Like I'm really interested in I that. I was going to say, Anbenar is really good. Um, you know, we were talking about the issue of, you know, oh, there's a lot of countries on the map, but you've played them all. It's like, okay, well, what if there's orcs and elves now? And, uh, right. I don't know how much the lore, you know, but like, uh, what if the Protestant Re Reformation was caused by it actually started raining blood and they declared that God was dead and there's a new God now? <laughs> like, that's, it's, yeah, it's really good. I really, really like Anbinar. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's just like, you know, there's only so many different times you can play World War Two, but if it's World War Two with with ponies or it's post apocalyptic World War Two. Yeah, it, it seems like mod support should be that third pillar. I talked about procedural story or procedural generation, emergent story modding support, I guess, would be the third yeah. component of a potential forever game. Yeah, variety. Um, Right. This the yeah. ability to and even I think for a lot of people, there are games where they end up modding it for their own enjoyment more than to share with someone else. Right. They're they're modding it oh, to yeah. change the, the one thing in their otherwise perfect game that gets on their nerves. This is Rowan's whole done life, that. right, is tweaking the exact <laughs> settings in Civ to get a start that brings joy. No, I've I've literally written mods for CK3 just because one or two things irritated me. Like Norse pagans shouldn't have clergy. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, I'm going to write a mod that changes this. Um, yeah. So. Um, OK, so. Two part question to kind of like cap this off. All right. If you had to right now pick one game. It's not going to get any more updates. It's just going to be whatever stated it is. It is in right now to be the only game you can play for the rest of your life. What do you think it would be? Wow. Um, I, I guess since we're a strategy game podcast, gotta be a strategy limit, game, right? yeah. limited to strategy games. Yeah, because I would probably have I would have a couple different answers depending on if I'm restricted to a genre or not. Right. I mean, I think I would definitely go in for Dwarf Fortress, right? I, I know I brought yeah. it, I was the one who originally brought it up as my forever game because it is my forever game. It's a game I can come back to forever and it cheats because it has adventure mode and adventure mode has gotten really flushed out. So not only is it an elaborate colony builder, the archetypal colony builder, it is also a roguelike RPG, right? Which is a mode that I have never touched. Yeah, so. and there's people who only play it. <laughs> yeah. Can you down like can you download other people's worlds and like go on adventures on them? I have absolutely or, no idea if you can do that. That would be Probably. really interesting. I don't see why not? Like if I built a fortress and I sent it to somebody to play in adventure mode, that could be really fun. Right. Um 
we definitely need to do the the proverbial the the other thing we've been talking about other than an episode for a long time is doing some sort of a like a dwarf fortress succession game with our our discord patrons uh patreon.com slash 3ma uh that's good because we tried we tried to do it with workers and resources and i think john was the only one who understood how that game worked and everybody got scared and <laughs> ran away uh <laughs> i kind of understand how it works but like picking up where someone else left off i was like oh wow this is this is complicated um not the Tor fortress is it but uh yeah I, I i think we definitely do need to do that succession game someday um someday yeah um someday when the steam release comes i'm i i honestly don't know what mine would be like it's really hard to pick you gotta pick something though right what can you play two thousand more hours of i do have to pick something and it's like i know i'm gonna play a lot more ck3 but but is it ck3 as it stands now right like that's a very i think that's a key uh a key feature of your of your question. Yes, but yeah, like you said, like CK3 as it is now, like if it wasn't going to get any more updates from today forward, I don't know. I'd probably play like <laughs> I'd probably play like 100 to 150 more hours and get bored. So, um I guess we'll, we'll we should say that you can you can include mods. Like you can when you're going away to the desert island, you can download the latest version of whatever mods. You download you a bunch want, of mods so. if you want them. I don't know. Like, if I had to pick one, you know, it it might end up being EU four. <laughs> Just because you know, like, if you include mods, yeah. I mean that that might be. It. I don't know. Uh, that yeah. I feel like no matter what I picked, I would get like violently bored of it after a certain amount of well, time. Well, there is a lot but of value in picking that's something. That's not the assignment. Yeah. Picking something like, well, you will, of course, right? That, that's yeah. The assignment has mm. arbitrary constraints for a reason. I mean, I think EU4 is a uh, strong choice because it's the kind of game that if you needed to devote your life to it, you could learn to mod yourself. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, and there's stuff like I've never done in EU4, like I've never done a world conquest just because that's a play style that doesn't appeal to me where you're like exploiting, you know, technicalities in the game mechanics right. to like get as much land as you can without your empire falling apart. Um, but if I had the rest of my life to only play one game, I'd probably give it a try. I'd get like, around okay, to it sooner or later. Yeah. Here's a whole play style that people enjoy that I've never done before. Let's see if this is actually fun. Um, yeah. Um, so hypothetically, <laughs> If you could design a forever game, what what do you think John Boulding's like ideal forever game would look like? Oh, I would just, you know, travel back from the future. I'd need to like sort of quantum leap back the cyborg brain of Tarn Adams when he's finished. Dwarf so it's still Dwarf Fortress. Year, it's just a in the year 21,000. A far future version of Dwarf Fortress. Oh, man, it's hard to say what my ideal, what my forever (laughs) game would look like. I think that's a it's a difficult question. I expect that in the end, it would be some variation of colony or city building that incorporates like an interesting military aspect. Uh, I I think that is probably where my heart ultimately lies is in that sort of intersection of society and medium scale logistics and. 
organizational army military fighting? Yeah, for me, I think it's it's definitely the intersection of of like grand strategy and RPG. I've said for a long time that I think Crusader Kings is approaching my perfect game from one direction and Mountain Blade is approaching it from the other. Right. And if you ever figured out a way to like combine the best aspects of both of those, that might be it for me. That might be the game that I would just never come back from. I would just lock the door and, you know, Bull, play it while I wasted away. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, just, so Crusader, you know, Crusader Blades and Kings, whenever that comes out, that's your. Yeah, uh huh. that's your jam. I know there's yeah, there's already I think there's now a mod that will export your battles to Bannerlord to fight them in real time, which is getting dangerously close. But I also want to be able to just like walk around my kingdom and like say hey to the, you know, wagon maker and find a peasant shit like that. It looks like so, you would kill him. Yeah. Or, you know, um, just like fuck off and go on a quest like, bye, you're the regent. I'm going to go on a quest. I'll be back <laughs> later. And then my brother's taken over and I have to go out in the countryside and like round up an army to take my land back. Like you do. That's yeah, that's that's the one thing Crusader Kings doesn't currently let me do that. I would love to be able to do is have to go out into the countryside to round up an army to take my lands back from my evil uncle or whatever who usurped my throne. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. That 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 that'd be that'd be a cool game. I'd probably play a bit of that. Just, just a little, little bit. bit. Yeah, I, I imagine yeah. so. I'm pretty so, curious as to what people out there's forever game, given our, our circumstances is, right? Like, you have to do yeah. it. It's now. It's today. Whatever today is when you're listening to this. And that's the version of the, that one game that you're going to take with you, Desert Island. I'm really curious about that. And I'm also pretty curious about what your your dream game looks like. Yeah, it's it's always like I have to temper it a little bit because like you could you could easily just say, well, it's it's a it's a virtual world where I can make it do anything I want to. Like, oh, sure. I feel like the restriction needs to be this. This needs to be something that you could create in C++ that would run on a modern computer. It like it's a <laughs> definable genre. <laughs> right. Man, um, just think how that's my yeah. dream game for fortress that's designed to actually run on a modern computer. <laughs> like imagine yeah. imagine what that game would be like if it supported multi-threaded processing oh man that, that would be wild that'd be absolutely hog wild um yeah i'm curious to hear what other, what other people's would be I'm, I'm curious to hear like i almost don't think it exists like i think at the end of the day given the the thought exercise that we've gone through i don't know if a forever game exists for me. And maybe that's just because I've been so spoiled by variety because the last, you know, 10, 11 years of my life has been, you know, I, I like, there's too many video games. Like I can't even play all the good ones. And like, if you look at my steam (laughs) library, it's sort of funny to be like, well, these are my most played when realistically, when you compare that to the playtime of games of good strategy games that I enjoyed playing that I only played for 20 or 30 hours. Yeah, the dwarf, yeah. The, the, the playtime of all those put together dwarfs everything but ironically Dwarf Fortress, probably. Right. Right. Well, and there's like stuff, you know, I saw um, 
uh, Per Aspera, which we did a show on last year, um, is doing a free weekend. If you happen to hear this in, in time right after it goes up, uh, that's a game I'll probably never go back to because it's very linear and very story driven. And I finished it and it was amazing and I'm glad I played it. Um, but I'll probably yeah, never play it done, again. Right. So, yeah. And, and uh, that's not worse than EU4, you know, just because you can't get 2000 hours out of it. Those are both very good strategy games that I enjoyed a lot. Um, so in some ways, it's like almost counterproductive to expect. A game to still be fun after 2000 hours it is in fact the height of folly in my opinion it is absolute madness (laughs) to expect a game to still the height of folly any game that you play by yourself especially right or within a limited constraint to still be fun after 2000 hours i can play like first edition dungeons and dragons for 2000 hours and definitely expect it to still be fun i think Right, because any I'm, tabletop I'm RPG where you have a good GM, yeah, like, yeah, because the human brain, we can keep coming up with stories like, forever. If you, you know, you could play um, <laughs> War in the Pacific, you know, forever, and you won't even finish a game, or you know, Empire yeah. of the Sun or Advanced Third Reich. So I'm what like thirty five hours into. Uh, uh, one save file on Terra Invicta, and I don't think I'm anywhere close to the end. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll see if I ever end up finishing that. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's interesting that there are these games that that do 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 stay fun after that amount of time, though. And uh, maybe it's something we will we will uh, ruminate on more in the future, but. I think that's probably going to do it for this week. In a decade. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can head on over and check us out there at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA. We are on uh, the Bird website um, where you can find us under the tag at 3MA. Um, and also the show is supported by listeners like you where you could Potentially get in on such future excitement as a uh, Dwarf Fortress succession game when the, whenever the Steam version comes out, whenever the uh, episode, we finally do a like a full episode on it um, on a game that has been around since 2006. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's going to be patreon.com slash 3MA. Um, John, did you have anything you wanted to plug this week? No, I'm working on a bunch of things I can't talk about. Same. Wow. I think we're working on like the same thing. Look at us go. <laughs> we can't talk about. So we should probably get back to that. Um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, for John, this is Len saying goodnight. <laughs>